Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. So you remember the San Francisco Chronicle, Mike? I do. In the good old days, you mean? And, <laughs> you meant the examiner, didn't you? And, and you remember that uh, regularly there was a column in it yes. uh, called Tales of the City? Yes, I do remember And it just that. sort of helped focus the changing uh, tones of San Francisco into a, a new reframed world. Yeah. Back Barbary when, Lane. Yeah, back when we were all rich and carefree. And <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Anyway, these, uh, these tales of the city, of course, have become novels, miniseries on television, films, operas, uh, T-shirts, uh, <laughs> coffee mugs, I don't know. Will you please welcome the, uh, the author, his new book is called Marianne in Autumn, a Tales of the City novel, Armistead Maupin, from West Coast Live. How do you do? Well, you know, West Coast Live has just gotten a Facebook page, and so is, so is your book. Uh, yeah, I'm actually nervous that people are tweeting as we speak. <laughs> so if you tweet about this later, and you will, <laughs> be kind. <laughs> yeah, I just started uh, Facebooking last year. Uh, my, my husband actually recommended that I do it with a book tour coming up, and... Uh, so I fell into that wonderful, terrifying world and actually used it in the novel. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of terrifying as an experience initially. Well, the, the single thing people tell you, that it dredges up all sorts of people you haven't seen for years, is <laughs> lovely and terrifying all at once. <laughs> but for a novelist, that must also be an interesting uh, way to introduce characters into a story. Well, yeah, that, that's exactly the way I used it. And I don't want to talk about which characters it introduces, because therein lies the mystery. But, uh, but for me... Um, so let's not talk about the book. No, we, we don't have to talk about the book. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, the, the Facebook story that uh, amuses me the most is that... Uh, I, 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 if you find yourself, once you figure out how to use YouTube and Facebook, and you find old tunes that you really like, and you put them on there, and you say, I remember this and that. So I found a tune called Good Morning Girl by the Neon Philharmonic. Does anybody remember that? From, if you don't, I'll start singing, so tell me you remember. <laughs> but, but oh, I, no, go ahead. Give no, us no. A... <laughs> it's like you're several ages older now. So powder puff your pretty nose and go out and find your man where the wild wind blows. Good morning, girl. That was playing on the radio as I drove to my ship one morning in Charleston, South Carolina, the morning after I first went to bed with a man. And I, I've had irony in my life from the very beginning. <laughs> So I posted it on Facebook, and who hops on board but a guy that I sold, a straight guy that I, was a good dear friend of mine on that ship, the USS Everglades, named after a swamp. That tells you what kind of a ship it was. <laughs> uh, and he, he got on Facebook, and he said, uh, uh, well, I know it wasn't me. Was it somebody I know? <laughs> And I wrote back and said, oh, Jack, it wasn't even anybody I knew. Oh! (laughs) 
So in, in some way, I mean, like, like this painting, like, like the writing where there are all kinds of paragraphs of your life, layers of paint that get covered up by other things, suddenly it seems all deconstructed. You can see all the dimensions of your past coming back in a rush that may not be totally a good thing. You're good, Sedge. You've got a whole painting theme going on, aren't, haven't you? And nobody else would show art books on the radio. I think that's... I know, I know. <laughs> and really, we're, we have to push the boundaries. Really, he's... he's as all you folks out there in Radio Land, he's actually turning the pages and showing it. <laughs> That's for the audience. I know, it's just, and they're sweet. I'm taking great comfort in this first two rows. They, they have the nicest looks on their faces. So, oh, layers of paint. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's layers of memory. It's, um, and since all of the characters in Tales of the City are little pieces of my own personality in a way, I'm always asked, oh, who are they or who were they? But... Most of them are me in one way or another. Um, as I grow or deteriorate or whatever I do as the, <laughs> as the years go on, so do they. And I'm able to get back into that corner and follow it. Are you surprised that the series has kind of grown in the way that it has and matured? I, it's been a really long, slow blossoming, and I feel really lucky in that regard. I remember when I first got hired at the Chronicle, actually dancing down Polk Street, which was the place you danced down in those days, <laughs> and clicking my heels in the air because I knew that I had something, a story to tell, and I was going to have a place to tell it and a whole city to tell it to, and, and the, a lot of the, 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 at least the gay and lesbian and transgendered aspect of the story had not been told before. Uh, so I really knew I was on to something, but I had no, I could not have imagined that it would be, <clears throat> that it would have this uh, blossoming, as I say, that it just doesn't stop. I mean, it's just c catching on in Italy right now. <laughs> just in time for my old age, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and the perfect third act for an old queen, it's being made into a musical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, which I should say, if you don't know already, is opening at the American Conservatory Theater right across the bay in San Francisco this May. Yeah. Um, it was the brainchild of a guy named Jeff Witte, who uh, won the Tony for Avenue Q. And uh, yeah, he, he is. And, and, and fabulous was the comment. Fabulous was the comment, and indeed he is. And the script is amazing because it manages to be utterly faithful uh, to the book and yet move it along in the course of a two-hour musical. He's borrowed an element from more tales of the city, um, the section where the character Mona Ramsey takes angel dust and runs off to Winnemucca, which gives us the, the obligatory Broadway whorehouse number. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and the music is, the music is being written by two members of the pop group, the Scissor Sisters, uh, Jake Shears, whose real name is Jason Sellards, when he's got clothes on. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I saw him here in Oakland a couple of weeks ago. It was extraordinary, the, the Scissor Sisters concert at the Paramount. Um, uh, but he and John Garden, who is sort of our um, token heterosexual on the team, <laughs> have written this amazing music that just covers the map. My own coming out letter to my parents from More Tales of the City. Uh, has been set to music. Um, and um, that, that must be uh, extraordinarily moving for you. I can't not cry when I hear it, which is a very odd thing to say, but it took me... When I wrote it at the Chronicle, it was right after the Anita Bryant 
thing started, which is still going on right now. The same crap is still being spewed. Um, uh, I love being in Berkeley. Get that little hiss in the audience. <laughs> it's not always so little. Yeah, no, so there, there you go. Make it louder. There we go. <laughs> uh, we have a drag queen playing her in the musical. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I wrote that coming out letter in 45 minutes. It took me less time than anything I've ever written because it had been in my heart for 15 or 20 years. I'd wanted to say that to my parents. So it's, uh, to see it, to see it uh, taking theatrical form is pretty amazing. And the other thing I've noticed is that, whereas in the old days, of course, I was relating to the romances between the younger couples, straight and gay, now I'm getting all mushy over uh, Anna Madrigal and Edgar Halsian, the two, the two 60-year-olds that are having a romance on stage. And uh, I'm really thrilled to say that um, for our last workshop, and I hope for good, uh, Betty Buckley was playing Anna Madrigal. So she brought this extraordinary, well, the voice, first of all, but the range uh, of... Uh, of him. She's a great actress, and, and she sort of, you have this sense that she could be the mother hen to all these other people who are part of the story. This sounds uh, life-changing, life-affirming for you. Well, it is. It's, it's never stopped being, and the message that I, that's come across to me is just keep telling the, the most embarrassing thing about yourself that you can tell. <laughs> Because it, it, it affirms something. I've to, I don't know if, I, if I've told you this story before, stop me. But um, years ago, I, <laughs> I, I uh, was talking to my sister on the phone about her troublesome mother-in-law. Oh, yeah, I heard this one. You heard this one? No, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I haven't heard it. <laughs> and... and uh, she told me, so I was taking the side of the mother-in-law, saying she seems very sweet to me, and she says, you know, have no idea. She's so incredibly uptight that she's never been to the gynecologist without first taking a bag with her to wear on her head during the cervical examinations. <laughs> the theory was that um, her dignity would not be compromised if she didn't actually see the doctor while he was looking at her. So I completely fixated on the bag. I said, was it the same bag every time? <laughs> or did she stop off at the Piggly Wiggly on her way to the guy? <laughs> Since she was sort of a crafty lady, I thought maybe she might have made something, you know? <laughs> Embroidered something pretty, a, a kind of head cozy, you know? <laughs> and my sister, uh, my, my sister said, uh, after a long, ominous pause, you are not going to write about this. <laughs> and I did. And it was a very popular part of the book. And I, I read it everywhere I went. And, and it was totally on automatic by the time I got to Raleigh, North Carolina, my hometown. And I knew my sister was coming, but it didn't dawn on me that she, she might bring the dreaded mother-in-law. So I, got, I was halfway through the thing and couldn't get out of it at that point. And so I ran back, grabbed her after it was over and said, I'm so sorry, I really didn't mean to embarrass you. And, it, 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 you know, was she okay? And she said, oh, she was fine. When you got to that point, she just leaned over and whispered in my ear, you see somebody else does it too. 
<laughs> and and I and I, that's that's what that coming out letter was about initially, you know. I mean, all of it. You tell what's bugging you, and you have this amazing connection with people who read you, who who recognize themselves in whatever you're you're saying about yourself. And you're not alone. And you're not alone. Neither one of you. The r- r- the writer is less alone. Yeah. The writer is less alone. Yeah. What a. Uh, how old were you when you when you wrote that letter? Thirty-two. Way too old. Um, but uh, I'm 66 now. I was just thinking about that the other day. That I've you know now spent more than half of my life li- living it as myself, and it's brought me nothing but rewards. This whole campaign that's going that the wonderful Dan Savage put out there, the It's Get Gets Better campaign for gay teens is. I'm so happy to see it because it's time as grown-ups that we spoke to our kids basically and said. It's, uh, you know, they're lying to you. Your preachers are lying to you. Your parents are lying to you. They don't know who you are. You know who you are. And others who are like you and have been through this uh, can tell you what's going on. The idea that our, that our government policy, that we've had this obscenity of the U.S. Senate going through this preposterous thing about don't ask, don't tell, about whether or not young men and women who've risked their lives or been maimed or near death in one of these stupid wars we're in, can't come home and say, oh, I'm so happy to see fill in the blank, or they'll lose their job. I mean, that's about as obscene as it gets. And I really don't want to hear our, I don't want to hear our president making videos about it gets better until he does everything in his power to make it better. The, uh, these, uh, these changes, what, what, what do you think is, is it, is it fear? Why, why are senators behaving in, the, in this way, do you think? Well, they're working it as a political... It's, a, it's a thing it. it's being used, basically, to gather votes, to whip up the ignorant, to vote for them. That's what it's about. I don't think there's that many people who are that unsophisticated about homosexuality in America anymore, but there's a number who are driven, um, you know, by their religious leaders, who are also working them, by the way. Um, to, so ultimately, you think it's about power? I think it's completely about power. I think privately they all know. This is, you know, the big shocking revelation that there's so many queer Republicans. Come on, you know. Yeah. That's the first place you go when you, when you decide to stay in the closet, you know. You, you, need, you need a rich... I know, I used to be... I was, you know, when I was back when I was in the Navy, I was a young conservative Republican, uh, you know, living in South Carolina. And I took refuge in that kind of rigid thinking that tells everybody else how they have to live their lives because I was busy telling myself. And it wasn't until I got to San Francisco and a straight woman friend of mine who was washing her kids in the bathtub while I was doing my trembling confession, (laughs) oh, I'm Jan, I'm homosexual, she barely missed a scrub as she looked up and said, big effing deal, and went right on, you know. (laughs) And it was, I hope we can do that, can't we? Yeah, good, I hope so. Uh, I just heard you use a consonant. I didn't know. Thank you. (laughs) Wavy Gravy the other last week said, give me an F. Give me a U. Give me an N. (laughs) Fun. (laughs) Great fun. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, Hey, you know what? Come come back again as the musical progresses. I want to, uh, we, we have another guest following. Uh, Wonderful. It's a pleasure. 
and, uh, and it's a great pleasure not to talk about your book, even though your book is once again, you know, from the heart, and it's funny, and it's moving, and it is, um, and it's the thing to blog about, right? And it's called Marianne and Autumn. Marianne and Autumn, <laughs> uh, a tale of the city novel, Armistead Mulpen. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's really wonderful to hear from you. Thank you. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.